0: Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast. I'm John Anthony Dunn, and today we're going to talk about the TV show Black Mirror. If you're not familiar with it, it's a dystopian anthology series. You can find it on Netflix. It was originally on BBC. But basically what it focuses on is technology. And it looks at the role of technology in our tech-saturated world. It's an anthology series, so every episode has different characters, different plots, and different technological advances that it focuses on. And in many ways, because it's a dystopian show, it sort of functions like Aesop's Fables. It's very precautionary in the way that it sort of provides a vision into a future world in which tech has advanced in particular ways that might not be as advantageous as we think. It's sort of like each episode is asking us to consider, do we really want to go down this road of technological advances? And if tech were to move along in this way or that way to make life more convenient or enjoyable, how might it inevitably be used in some horrible ways? And that's kind of what the, the show sort of fixates on. And it's really fascinating, really dark really deep and provides a great opportunity for reflection. And we're also talking about this show in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, this coronavirus outbreak, and thinking about the role of technology in this crazy situation in which we find ourselves in globally. And joining me today, we have Brandon Hurlbert, who's a PhD candidate in Old Testament at Durham University. How's it going, Brandon? It's going great, John. Thanks for having me. And we have Amber Bowen, who is a PhD candidate in philosophy at the University of Aberdeen. How's it going, Amber?
1: Good. Thanks. Good to be here.
0: So, Amber, we're editing a book on Black Mirror and theology as part of a pop culture and theology series that Fortress and Lexington Press puts together. Why this book? Why, why a book on Black Mirror and theology? What does Black Mirror have to say about theology or what can we say about the TV show theologically?
1: Yeah, well, we are really excited about getting a group of scholars together to engage this theologically because this show kind of throws out all of these huge questions, but then it leaves it to the viewer to sort them out and to figure out what Mm -hmm. to do about it. So very few Black Mirror episodes actually end with some kind of a conclusion or Mm -hmm. resolution or resolve more than anything it's like here we're just going to throw your world into chaos and leave <laughs> you to sort it out and figure it out so that's such a wonderful opportunity for theologians and biblical scholars and philosophers and ethicists to come and bring the resources of the christian tradition with them and dialogue about this in community
0: now you know this whole project got started when uh, season 5 came out right after i had Blitz through the three episodes when it originally uh, launched, I got a text from you about the Striking Vipers episode. And it was just this amazing riff on Kierkegaardian connections and, and all of this. And I just remember thinking, that is amazing. You need to publish this. And then yeah. taking a step to the side and thinking, wait, wait, wait. Maybe maybe we could work on something here and turn this into a, a bigger project. Do you want to say more about your contribution as an author within the volume? What are you planning on addressing with that Striking Vipers episode? And really, what's going on in that Striking Vipers episode? And what does Kierkegaard have to do with it all?
1: Well, I just remember when I saw the episode for the first time, because I think you had even said, hey, I just watched season five. It's awesome. Particularly the first episode, it'll blow your mind. And so a couple of weeks later, I was watching it and it did blow my mind because I had just finished writing an article that I was submitting to a journal on Kierkegaard's views on erotic love Mm -hmm. um, and what he says philosophically via the exploration of different ways of approaching erotic love in his Mm -hmm. authorship. And so, then watching Striking Vipers, I just saw that so much of what he was saying was actually portrayed in the episode, or problems that he identifies in his authorship are really felt in the episode of Striking Vipers. And so, particularly, what was interesting to me was the way that Striking Vipers dramatizes the relationship between fantasy and reality. What is the relationship between a fantasy world? and a real world, particularly when it comes to love and sex and fidelity, those Mm. things. And so how does our techno-driven era maybe complicate the the divide, what would Mm. maybe normally be a clear divide between a fantasy world and a real world? It's almost like it punctures the line between those two things. So in what ways do they bleed into one another? Or in what ways do they not translate into one another? And that was what was very fascinating. So basically, the for those who don't know the story of the episode, the summary is that you have these two longtime friends, Danny and Carl, and the show starts off and they're playing a video game as college mm-hmm. students together. And then life goes on and then they get reunited at a birthday party and Carl gives Danny this updated version of the same video game that they played and it seems nostalgic and harmless just a way to kind of relive the past for them but before long their avatars it, it basically it just turns it turns into pornography very quickly mm. um because this souped up version of the video game actually allows them it's like an a vr experience it allows them to feel and experience and be inside the video game Mm -hmm. But it raises all of these crazy questions. And you start to see interesting effects that come from Danny in particular, who we follow a little bit more closely in the story, what his real life starts to look like Mm -hmm. as a result of his immersion in this video game. Namely, he has a beautiful wife and a child and a profitable career and a dream house Mm -hmm. and all of these wonderful things. And he just becomes increasingly disconnected from those things as he's absorbed in this like pornographic fantasy reality. And so you get all of these questions like, has Danny cheated on his wife in this virtual reality? Does that count as infidelity? What happens in a virtual world count in a real world? Mm -hmm. Or is it something totally separate? So in that sense, you could ask the question, has this sexual encounter technically happened Mm. (laughs) or has it not? technically happened but then you get even more weird questions like do danny and carl these friends actually have some sort of like uh do they have romantic feelings for one another right right. which is made even more complicated by the fact that in the game carl carl's avatar is a woman
0: right right.
1: so it seems like a, a heterosexual encounter in the game but outside of the game there are these two guys So that becomes confusing. (laughs) Right. But then you just start as you're watching the show, then you're like, well, wait a minute. What if maybe they are actually attracted to one another in real life, Mm -hmm. but their society and their lives sort of make them suppress those feelings, whereas this fantasy world just creates an opening for them to experience those feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, So is maybe what's happening in the fantasy world, is that actually more true? (laughs) than Mm. what is being expressed in the quote-unquote real world so Mm -hmm. you just have like like what is even true right now (laughs) right anyway the as the show progresses what becomes very evident without giving too much away is that what happens in the fantasy world in some senses translates or has a destructive effect on the real world Mm -hmm. and causes all kinds of confusion between the two but What they are participating in in the fantasy world doesn't actually fully map onto the real world. Mm -hmm. So basically what happens is they're having all these pornographic encounters in the fantasy world, but Danny is unable to have sex with his wife in the real Mm, world. mm -hmm. and But then as they are starting to question, like, do we have feelings for one another? (laughs) Then there's a scene where they interact to see like, okay, do we, let's, you know, let's see if we actually have feelings for one another. And they clearly don't. So it's like the whole idea behind it is that as you are engaging in this fantasy world, it doesn't actually make you a better lover in Mm. the real world. It Mm -hmm. actually makes you a worse lover Mm -hmm, in the mm -hmm. real world. And this is where I see Kierkegaard coming in, because he talks um, about how ideality, which we could call the fantasy world, does not map onto actuality neatly. And so if you're going to live in an infinitude in this ideality, that translation from moving that into actuality is actually going to be an infinite leap. Uh, That you won't be able to do. And so you end up being locked in immediacy, which means that you are just stuck in the immediate sensations and experiences that don't actually translate into concrete terms. So you might have this sensory experience of erotic passion and love, but you've been unable to render that actually concrete in the real world. You've been unable to become an actual lover.
0: Yeah, I I feel like this is a a great example of that idea that the way that Black Mirror provides precautionary insight into a future world that we don't really want to inhabit. So yeah, the idea of VR fighter games sounds like a fun potential, right? And you think about uh, how the show portrays this really being advanced, you know, beyond what's even currently possible with VR. But what if this mm-hmm. were to what if we were to continue to go down that road, what this episode does and really what every episode of Black Mirror does with the particular tech that it focuses on is it shines that light and says if this were to exist, it would inevitably be used in this way and that would mm-hmm. be really problematic. And I think this is a great example of that. There's a, you know, there's an antithetical quality to Black Mirror, right? We realize what we don't want from Black Mirror episodes, right? Oh no, no, no. We don't want to go down that road. And I think this is a really great example and and of, of course your Kierkegaardian insights are are just fascinating on fleshing that out uh no pun intended even more, right? <laughs> now, now Brandon, you're you're working on an essay on the White Bear episode, which of course is a really fascinating episode as well. Do you want to say more about that episode and your particular angle on it?
2: Well, first of all, I I just love Black Mirror. I love all episodes. Obviously, some episodes I love a bit more. White Bear, in particular, I think is my favorite episode. Although it's an episode that you you don't really want to watch more than once because obviously there's a big uh, twist and a spoiler, which we probably should say spoiler alert for some <laughs> Right, of episodes, right, 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 right. But spoiler alert. But White Bear, I think, is my favorite episode because more than any episode in particular, this one made me feel the most. Obviously there's a lot of fun things in black mirror. And obviously there's a lot of episodes that are really cringeworthy that you just don't want to look away, but it's like a bad car accident that right. you're watching and it forces, well, it doesn't really force you, but it basically forces you to look. Whereas white bear is something the, the, the plot begins, it opens up, the scene opens with a, a mother um, who you kind of, who's like waking up from this, like, Drug induced coma, kind of thing, and, and kind of tied to this chair. And, and, and she begins to realize and kind of come awake to the, uh, to the reality that her daughter has been kidnapped and she's missing, or she's missing, and she's kind of been, and she's trying to find her daughter and she's running uh, outside. And from the very beginning, you're the audience, and, and you as a viewer are identifying with this woman.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: who's lost her daughter or uh, her daughter has been kidnapped and she's trying to find, and then she encounters other people and the other people are filming her.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like you'd see, you know, um, you know, they're just filming her and kind of pointing and laughing and observing and being spectators. And you, and, and, and this, this episode did come out um, or was filmed, I think in 2013. So it's a bit uh, behind where we're at technology wise, but in this, in this scene where you, you just get angry at these people who are like, come on, help her. Mm-hmm. And then there's these hunters who are wearing these like masks mm-hmm. who are just running around trying to shoot her and kill her and torture her. And like, she's just trying to find her daughter. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's scary. And you're like, you're with her. And then at some point, there, there's a twist where, in reality, this woman actually, her, her and her uh, boyfriend actually had abducted this girl that she'd been looking for. In reality, she had abducted her, tortured her, and she had filmed her boyfriend torture this little girl. So in the moment, you, your allegiances automatically switch to like, oh, this person I've been rooting for this entire time is actually a terrible human. And you, hate, you, 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 you feel some hatred and, and you, you see you want her to get justice. Mm-hmm. And then as the episode goes on, you then begin to realize that it's th- this experience that she has of waking up, thinking her daughter's lost, going through this whole experience is actually part of this like zoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, this white bear is, is the name of this like Justice Park. And every day, this woman relives this haunting experience. Mm-hmm. And 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 at the end of the day, obviously she's shamed. People are throwing like tomatoes at her. They're laughing and they're pointing. And it's it's it is this really weird episode that that kind of draws you in to identify with the protagonist with this woman, and then realizing halfway through that oh she's actually the bad guy, and now you're rooting against her. But then at, towards the end, when she's having this conversation with the director of this park, and he's explaining to her all that she'd done and 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 all these things she's wheeled back to the the starting point where we first encountered her. And then she's giving a, a, given a drug that will erase her memory of the day Mm And so the next day for a whole new set of tourists who can come and film her on their phones, like at a zoo, Mm -hmm. she'll experience this whole thing again. Mm -hmm. And what struck me the most about this episode is that uh, this idea of othering is that, you know, there there's these others that are trying to attack you and there's, you're identifying with a certain group of people and the others, these people who are filming on their cell phones or are trying to hunt her. (laughs) Um, Mm. And then eventually to the people who are becoming the judges and and, and who are executing justice upon this woman, they're always someone else. And you're Mm. trying to figure out as a viewer, who do you identify? Who is us and who is the them? And what struck me about this episode is that how easy it is to switch allegiances. Mm-hmm. Uh, how easy is it? Is it to switch the person that you are identifying with? And a, a similar thing kind of uh, struck me when I read uh, the story of Samson uh, in Judges 14 through 16. At the beginning of the Samson story, obviously he is the protagonist and he's going, you know, and you might have your own kind of judgment or, you know, preconceived notions of what a, a savior or what a judge should look like, but... It's there, you know, in chapter 13, he's promised he's going to be this great Nazarite. He's going to start to begin to save Israel from her enemies. And it, you, that's, that's your expectation. And as the story kind of progresses, you start to see him, you know, he gets married to this, this woman from Timnah, uh, which mm-hmm. is a Philistine town. And you're kind of like, you're kind of hoping for the best. You know, you, you might go, I don't really know why you're mar- uh, An Israelite is marrying a Philistine woman, but mm-hmm. cool. Good enough. Uh, maybe something's going to come to this. Mm -hmm. And then there's that whole, you know, um, the whole riddle. And then he ends up going out and killing Philistines. And then there's blood. And then because of all this, you know, you you, at that point, your your allegiance is being tested because Mm -hmm. you're kind of wanting to, like, identify with Samson. But then as he goes out and executes, quote unquote, justice against the Philistines, they end up retaliating by murdering his his uh, this woman that he's just married. And then, as this kind of keeps going on, there's these cycles of justice where Samson is attacking the Philistines, and the Philistines are attacking Samson, and back and forth, back and forth, and it ultimately lead, uh, leads and re- results in Samson committing suicide. What I found really interesting is that kind of reading these two stories in dialogue with one another is that in the Samson narrative, something I hadn't noticed before is that that the story invites its reader to take other people's perspectives Hmm. so more than anything it gives you insights into what the philistines are thinking and doing you're as a reader you are privy to conversations that samson is not for instance you have the conversation between samson's uh, wife from Timnah and her uh, and the other philistines so Mm -hmm. they're chatting and they're talking about oh you know they have this whole conversation about you know have you come to spoil us you know like why don't you tell us the riddle and then they're like threatening her and so you as a reader you have this insight that samson doesn't mm-hmm. that other characters of the story doesn't and that and that helps you it helps you identify with this this woman why is she trying to you know kind of seduce samson and try to try to uh, get the riddle out of him well because the philistines have said if you don't do this we're gonna kill you you know that that changes the story right the same thing happens with samson and gaza like you you know as the reader what the Philistines are planning to do, you know the same thing uh, in chapter sixteen with Samson and Delilah. You're, you, know, you are privy to a conversation that Samson doesn't. These movements throughout the whole story of Samson, Judges fourteen through sixteen, is almost a movement of perspective as well. It's not only you're moving around Israel and Philistine or Philistia, but you are moving in and out of different perspectives. And I think, like the white bear episode, as it switches between the perspectives you take as a, as a viewer and whose side are you on? You actually end up at the very end of the episode going, I actually don't like any of these characters. Like, obviously this woman is a quote unquote bad guy. You know, Mm -hmm, she, mm -hmm. she killed this, this, this girl and she tortured her and she filmed her and that's awful, but she herself is being tortured every day. And you don't really know how long that's been going on and you don't know how long it will continue to go on. And these people who are coming to watch, you know, it's kind of like capital punishment where today you can still do it in America, but, you know, you'd have public lynchings and public hangings, and, you know, you'd have death penalty where you get to watch cap, we get to watch punishment, you get to watch, you know, quote, unquote, justice being enacted against Mm -hmm. people. What White Bear does, and what I think equally judges 14 through 16 do, is they both really question, you know, what is justice? What does it mean to be a just person? What does it look like to as a society to enact justice that fits the crime? White Bear doesn't really, you know, the Black Mirror episode doesn't really give you an answer. It just poses the question. And I think something similar is happening in the Book of Judges
0: uh, with the story and character of Samson. That's awesome. Well, we look forward to uh, reading that essay in, in our volume when it's out, hopefully sometime next year. We have a number of great contributors contributing to this volume that Amber and I are, are putting together and really excited about this this whole project because the show is just so fertile for these kinds of intriguing connections and dialogue and conversations. And what I want to do now is Think about the current situation that we are living in. Of course, we're recording this episode during the coronavirus outbreak. Several of us are already practicing sheltering in in place. Brandon, you're in England. Amber and I are in the States. Amber's in North Carolina. I'm here in Minnesota. Amber's about to have a shelter in place starting tonight as we're recording. For me, it's tomorrow. In this current situation of isolation, tech is really coming in prominently at the moment. And I just want us to think about to what degree are we living in a Black Mirror episode? What do you guys think about that?
1: Well, I'll say one of the things that I've been thinking about, particularly in light of my essay on the topic, is how very dissatisfied we are with being able to connect with one another only through technology. Um, I think people are Mm. feeling that a lot. Churches are feeling that a lot. If we ever... Recognized our need for community. Mm -hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about how the physical presence of another believer is such great encouragement for us. Um, And I think we're, we're feeling that right now. We're realizing it right now that technology is great as it is. And as much as it facilitates a lot, and it actually is facilitating a remarkable amount of our lives right right now, there's this growing dissatisfaction and, and a realization that there's this excess to life to human interaction to actual physical presence of of the other that tech is just unable to capture.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think I'm a raging extrovert and so and I just love giving people hugs and high fives and it sucks that I cannot do that. Especially, you know, before we had kind of the shelter in place order and we were members of our church we're still kind of practicing social distancing but, you know, still in the same room it was even that was difficult. Even that was like, oh, like, you know, we 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 did we pulled off something, you know, we pulled off a live string, you know, by the skin of our teeth kind of thing. And uh, and it, it was great. And it was like, let's celebrate. And I'm like, oh, I just want to like hug you, all of you for all this good work that you've just done, but I can't do that. And now even more so is it just I just get to see people on Zoom calls or whatever medium we use. I think I've tried basically all of them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, in another podcast episode where we talked about, you know, virtual communion, is it valid? I think a lot of us in that episode, we were talking about how, you know, the that it is valid first mm-hmm. and foremost, but that, you know, you can have an experience, real community through technology, through a, a mediated presence. And, we, you know, trying to say like, oh, wait, let's not put the, you know, church in scare quotes or, you yeah. know, let's talk in scare quotes. Because I think now, when we you know, we don't know how long this kind of shelter in place, you know, don't leave your home will last. And it would be, I, I don't want to put, you know, this period of time in brackets. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I remember COVID? Yeah. Like that didn't count. <laughs> you know, those, everything that we did in that time, all the, all the relationships, all the phone calls, the text, message, you know, none of that actually counted because it was just, it was mediated through technology. But what I think about, what I, what I think Blackmere does really helpfully is provide kind of the shadow and the warning mm-hmm. of overutilizing technology
0: when mm-hmm. you don't need to. Yeah, it's really interesting because at, at present, it's like, it, it very much feels like we're in a black mirror episode right you know you see everybody through google hangouts and zoom and and facetime and all this and but i've also heard a lot of positive reflection right i mean imagine if we were living in 1918 during the spanish flu or some other plague you know from the past it's like at least we have the internet now at least we have we have facetime we have google hangouts i mean is such a more convenient way to go through this period with technology, right? With live streaming possibilities, with podcasts, Mm -hmm. with social media. And so it's interesting because although like Amber was talking about, we are so tangibly feeling that sense of distance by only being able to have that kind of technological interaction. We feel that. So there, there's there's a way in which it provokes and, and perpetuates that longing for physical interaction and being in the same space. But at the same time, it's really coming in clutch. It's an interesting dynamic because Black Mirror doesn't really show us how tech is a savior in any sort of way, right? It's not a Luddite show, right? It's not saying let's not have technology, but it does not really pose tech as much of a savior. And so when we think about this idea of are we living in a Black Mirror episode, there really is at present such a positive, I think, uh, such a positive uh, role that technology is playing. I totally 100% agree with Amber's point though, that Mm -hmm. it's ultimately not as satisfying as if we were able to be physically present. I mean, I'm an extrovert too. I am very acutely aware of the fact that I need to be in coffee shops and breweries to be productive and get work done because I just need the buzz (laughs) of, of other people. And that just kind of stimulation, it's a lot more difficult for me as an extrovert living alone to just try and be productive by myself in a domestic space where I've got, you know, video games to distract me. I've got chores that I could do. I could sleep. I could relax. I could read comic books. I could cook, you know, all these different things. I need that physical interaction. I need the buzz of people around me. So I'm very acutely aware of that. But at the same time, I do feel very grateful for technology.
1: I wonder if, One good question we could ask ourselves now is thinking about Black Mirror and how it shows us the dangers of an abuse of technology, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, meaning an mm -hmm. overuse of it or collapsing reality into it, becomes dangerous very quickly. However, we said abuse for a reason. Abuse is not like all use is not abuse. And there are ways that it can be a tool that, as we're experiencing now in this Corona situation, that opens us to the other in important ways in ways that would not otherwise be possible in a space of social distancing so being able to call i mean i i lived in milan italy for Uh, four Mm -hmm. and a half years. Mm -hmm. And so I have some of my best friends are over there and I have a whole life that was lived over there. And so I have been able to be in touch with my friends over there on a daily basis, thanks to technology. And so it's been able to make me aware of their situation and grieve with them in their situation that I would not otherwise have. And so I think that's a really, really important way that tech is having a kind of a redemptive Element in our current situation, where I think it becomes dangerous is if tech becomes not a a tool or a medium that opens us to the other, but it becomes a tool or a medium by which we collapse into ourselves Mm. um, and become more isolated. So, Mm. if it's just strictly, you know, I'm going to play a video game like by myself all day, or Mm -hmm. I'm just going to read the news by myself all day, it's not actually opening me to a real other. Then, not to say that that's bad, but it's uh, when our world become collapsed into that, that's when it becomes very dangerous for us.
2: yeah, I, man, yeah, I really like what you said about opening yourself to the other because i think I think right now, because you because the option is not there to hang out, you you have to use a tool like Facebook or you know, video chatting, whatever you have to use a tool. And I think people are now more than anything, instead of trying to, well, I can't speak for everyone, but instead of trying to mindlessly distract or keep going down the feed or, you know, keep scrolling or keep, you know, letting the Facebook, you know, autoplay videos, you know, for hours Mm -hmm. and hours, I think people are, are trying to actually connect with people they love, connect Mm -hmm. with people Mm -hmm. they're, they're not able to see that they've, hopefully, maybe the, the light out of the darkness, the, uh, the life out of death kind of moment of COVID might be to reawaken people to the real world and, and reawaken people from this obsession and re- over-reliance on uh, social media and virtual spaces and have people no longer take for granted the physical No longer take for granted the 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 world uh, that we can move about and 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 connect with people on a really physical level. Maybe this might be a time to relearn, maybe unlearn some of the habits uh, that we've been forming in ourselves uh, over the past decade or so, and learning to maybe take a digital sabbath. You know, every every now and then, and learn to actually speak to people physically uh, and face to
0: face when when all this stuff kind of I don't want to say blows over, but leaves and Mm -hmm. finishes. Well, this has been a really wonderful conversation. Really enjoyed thinking about Black Mirror—it's one of my favorite shows. But thinking about it in in light of our present situation, and really is such a fruitful and and fertile show for these kinds of reflections. And so it's great to be able to chat about it and and really make connections to to real life, especially in our our very real situation at the moment. And I like what you said, Brandon, earlier about how you know it's not. bracketed time that uh, it's still real time our connections and these sorts of things uh, even as they're mediated through tech uh, and even as it's not ideal and it's not as satisfying it's still real and meaningful and so i think i think this has been just a wonderful conversation so thank you both for for joining and uh, being a part of it yeah thanks yeah thank you engagement of theology, culture, and discipleship from the Two Cities, you can find us on Facebook or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com